Welcome to another episode of The People's Project. Josh, it is good to see you. I heard you almost died from a mosquito bite. I'm glad you're still alive, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good. I got a, uh, an infection in my leg. It uh, nearly put me in hospital, but uh, antibiotics kept me out. So thanks to people who make antibiotics. What was the uh, insect that almost killed you? Well, I'm not sure. I assume it was a mosquito, but it could have just been a, a crack in my skin where bacteria gets in. It's, it's, um, it's a, sometimes it's a strange thing to work out where some in, skin infections come from, but it was a surprise. Uh, <laughs> and my leg blew up like a log. Well, uh, how was the, the time away? I mean, I was going to say there are two reasons why I'm not wearing a suit today. First of all, we're, we're still hot. on. It's hot, not in this room, but we're on hiatus still. This is not, we're not back yet. And, yeah, this is not official. But the other reason is uh, I definitely don't fit my suit anymore. Really? Mm-hmm. Have you uh, lost more weight? No, the other way, my friend. The amount, oh, see, the amount, I warned you about the chocolate. The amount of chocolate chips and ice cream I consumed was disgusting. But um, yes, I hope to fit it by the time we get back on air. We'll be back on in February, right? Another month mm -hmm. away. Until then, we're going to be hearing more of your uh, the cool videos you've been putting out. So you've finished one now on secular humanism. Yeah, that, that came out and... Um, it's about 40 minutes long, so it's not a, a stroll in the park or a watch in the toilet, but uh, I really encourage people to have a look at the series and check it out because um, <clears throat> the information in there is going to help them to make sense so that hopefully um, they won't need to rely on us as much as maybe they do. They well, can start to become part of the conversation rather than a spectator is my point. I've been watching some of the conversations that everyone's been having with you on the posts, on the discernible pages. That's been really cool to see some good conversations there. Uh, mm. Can I also just point out to the people that, you know, we'll be putting the episodes up as we do on our Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, but you also do some thoughts, you know, some little vlogs behind the scenes stuff that we put up on your personal channels. So where mm -hmm. can people go to find that stuff? What platforms? Well, I was going to set up a uh, sort of like a special coffee with Josh site. I haven't done that yet. Um, but if you follow me on Joshua Fotara, P-H-O-T-A-R-A, -A, I think that's how you spell it. I'll put a link down below, but what? Platform? Yeah, yeah. So you can follow me there. Um, but is that Facebook, when I put YouTube? The page up, yeah, that's Facebook. So yeah. when I when I put the the Coffee with Josh page up, which will either be today or tomorrow, you can migrate over there, and uh, that way you can talk to me or uh, just enjoy the content. Cool. All right. Well, Josh, we, I couldn't wait to, uh, until another few weeks until we did news because so much is happening in the world today. So uh, I, a few things we need to talk about. Police abandoning Melburnians, uh, COVID restrictions. I don't know if we're going to talk about Trump or not. I'm a bit over the whole thing. But first of all, let me just say 
I haven't told you about this yet, but a number of serving Victoria police officers have been calling me and I have also been in contact with the Community Advocacy Alliance, which is a collection of ex-police officers, very high ranking, right from the boss down, so former chief commissioners of VicPol. And they have also been receiving a large number of calls from serving VicPol members. Now, there's been a lot of debate as to whether media outlets should release this information that I'm actually decided to release today. Uh, and that is because they... I've been told that if we tell people that police are leaving our communities and heading for the borders, that DUIs will skyrocket, uh, opportunistic petty crimes will skyrocket, because the, the truth is they are closing in many areas two out of three police stations, and they are making the third police station a 24-7 station. A number of jobs, so when a cop gets called to go to a domestic violence or whatever, they call that a job. A number of jobs are simply not being responded to now. You're just not going to get a police at your door. And the wait times for all jobs have gone up in an, an incredible length of time, more than double. So we have a situation now where VicPol is sending all of their police up to patrol the border, which is not going to open until the end of the month, which boggles my mind. So that is the big news that I've been told not to share which you have promptly shared. The thing is, this is something that the mainstream media is running dead on, and I've been told to run dead on. But is that what we do? We just allow politicians to get away with it, and we allow Vic Pol to get away with it? Or do we tell the people and make some noise that it is not, not right that you are abandoning the Melbourne community by removing two-thirds of police stations and you're sending and i don't know how many people are going up to to live in hotels and tents on the border they need to scramble and fix this situation this is not good enough this is a serious yeah. safety thing like that we are going to suffer as a community from the lack of police presence over the next three weeks yeah and and you know obviously more about this than i do because i'm just hearing this for the first time but um you know the when I hear information like that, I usually start by, rather than jumping to conclusions, asking questions. So my first question is, is this because police are actually leaving that they're closing these stations? So yeah, this I is a reduced, uh, reduced number of police personnel. Yeah, so I've asked a couple of, I've tried to verify the different members that have called me and I've tried to verify with those ex-copies as well what's going on. It seems to be they just don't have enough people. So a lot of stations are currently struggling to put vans on the road. They call them vans. That's like their mm -hmm. first line of defense. And yep. they're struggling to even do that. And uh, I'm also being told that a number of serving VicPol members have offered to come back from leave. So they're currently on leave and they've offered to come back. However, they're being to cover the stations in the metro area while their colleagues are out at the border. However, VicPol management has said no, and we can only assume it's right. because of budgetary constraints. They don't want to pay return from leave allowances and penalties. But anyway, uh, there's VicPol members willing to come back and they're told no. So I guess we have to look after ourselves and fend. It just, you know, I'm not going to so name particular suburbs because that would be dangerous, but we need to look after ourselves these next three weeks because police call times are just not going to be their response times. So what you're saying, it's not police quitting the job. No. It's police being called from the metro region to the borders 
yep. to police the COVID restrictions. Yep. And they're being taken from the metro area to do that, kind of like regular firefighters being taken in a CFA-style emergency into sort of country Victoria. Yep. That's what you're kind of talking about? That's okay. what I'm yeah. being told, yep. I, I can see that that's a big, massive problem because crime and COVID, they both start with C and that's probably where the comparison ends. Look, I've, I've also spoken to, let me show you this. This is the shadow police minister for um, Victoria. He put out this on 22nd December, just talking about uh, police scrambling for the border and it's threatening community safety. Uh, well, normally I would see the Libs and the Labor putting out press releases like this and just go, whatever, they're being political, trying to score points. However, what he's saying is actually coming true. When he says... Uh, we are seeing police stretch across the state, frontline officers being pulled from regional communities. I'm being told from people who are contacting me, serving members, that regional police stations are being hit the hardest. Uh, as yeah. we head into the busy holiday period, we're going to have fewer, fewer police on the roads and at destinations, uh, leaving Victorians to fend for themselves this summer. And that is exactly what I'm saying to you. And look, unless you have anything more to say about that, I'll move on from that. I do have something to say. I, I hope that the people that are listening to this and watching this recognise the significance of what's just occurred or what's occurring, allegedly. What? And that's that um, a balance, if you imagine scales, COVID has outweighed your personal safety needs. It's true. So we're talking about home invasions. We're talking about road fatalities every single year the police say the christmas new year period and the holiday period are some of the worst times on the road so these worst times are obviously being outweighed by the by closing the border closing the border you don't sound very you know happy what about i mean that. like seriously like i'm thinking about the the, the people watching Hopefully, they, they're picking up what has won in a competition between your safety and state COVID policy. Well, you know that for the first time, certainly in our lifetimes, we have internally displaced Australians who can't get home into Victoria. Yeah. So we know that seek, this is a couple of days ago that the number of people seeking permission to enter Victoria is over 3,000. And I think they've issued uh, no, I 200, think it was 295. Was it? Yeah, 295. Three and a half thousand still outstanding. This has gone up in the mm -hmm. two days since this article. And it's getting so bad now that we actually have people going through Birdsville. Now, when I learned to fly airplanes and helicopters, there was this place called Birdsville we used to go to out in the middle of here. People are actually driving 46 hours through the bloody desert of Australia. My God. Down, avoiding New South Wales and back down past Adelaide to get back into Melbourne to avoid New South Wales because it's disgustingly viral, whatever they want to call it. Yeah. This, this combined with the sudden border closures, uh, when they close the Victorian border, what do they give us? Uh, a day's notice, day and a half notice. My, uh, Was it even that? 
I, I, yeah, I just want to be generous. I, I don't know if it was same day. I think it was Sunday or Saturday. And he said, you know, Monday night, we're closing the border. Anyway, I had in-laws who had to flee because they didn't want to get stuck. And, you know, the number of people driving, you know, 15 hour drives, not stopping for rest. This is, this is kind of like Trump calling on people to come to the Capitol yesterday. This is Dan Andrews calling people, not the same thing, but he's causing dangerous behavior by saying, get back in or we're not going to let you into your home state. I had some personal testimony of some people that were crossing the border that night. They were in the traffic jams. And at 12 o'clock, I can't remember if it was uh, Christmas Eve or I can't, you know when it was. Um, at 12 o'clock that first night when the border was supposed to be closed, Mm. They packed up the blockade and they went home and everybody just went through. I don't know. I can't remember what road this was, but remember how we were talking about police sort of using discretion? That's right. The ring of steel. Yeah. yeah and all that. So there were some, uh, some people that got through after the fact because I mean, Closing down internal borders within a country, the topography is not really set up for that. No. And if anyone's gone on a big sort of uh, road trip, if you don't have anywhere to stay and you're sleeping in your car, you might as well say to the kids, come on, we're going to have a bit of an extended holiday and we're going to drive into the Northern Territory and through South Australia to get back home. I mean, this is creating, I mean, put it this way. The, uh, the carbon emissions alone are going to be staggering. That's not so important right now. We're talking about safety of people no, driving. No, it's not. But at the same time, like when you think about it, what they are forcing people to do, they don't seem to be thinking about the unintended consequences of these actions. They're not making enough uh, concessions. They're not, they don't have the, the numbers bureaucratically to process all these applications in a speedy, timely manner? Do they even want to? Do they care? Look, there's. we slammed our border shut when we had three cases. And when I say cases, you know that includes, that includes asymptomatic cases. It's just a positive test result. We're not talking about three people in hospital or whatever. And this is the thing. You know, we're not, well, I don't know if you are, but I'm not having a go saying you shouldn't respond to coronavirus mr government i'm just saying hello this snap decision knee-jerk reactions that we're doing are causing real problems in people's lives i mean hopefully not deaths on the road but certainly is harming people there's a story of a of a guy who got a, a job down here in melbourne he's moving from sydney and he uh signed a lease in my suburb here and he because of the the, the border closure he now can't get in so he's now paying for a property here that he can't live in, but it gets worse. He's having to live up there, him and his wife and his little uh, child on someone's couch because they don't have a house up there either. Yeah. Oh, and she, I don't know if anyone's tried to, I don't know if anyone's tried to buy travel insurance, but you can't. Why but are you I'm going to, at, hmm? why are you looking at travel insurance? Where are you going? Oh, I was going over to Tassie to see some family that live over there in, in, later in uh, the end of January and we were looking for travel insurance because I didn't want to get stuck in Tasmania if they closed the border. I can't swim that far. (laughs) 
So travel insurance would give you money for a hotel or whatever you needed. So for- you pay, yeah. So they they cover you so that if for some reason you can't get back, you spend your own money uh, staying in a hotel or wherever you're staying, and you keep the receipts and you make a claim to get that money reimbursed. They're just not all the all the travel insurance places that I that we looked at that we normally look at for our normal holidays, they're usually pretty reputable. They're just suspending all travel insurance. They're not allowing anyone to buy travel insurance. Look, so I we've hate- already had to prepay for the, the flights. Yeah. So if something happens, um, you know, it could be out of pocket quite a lot, which is not a big deal. What I'm more scared about is getting stuck over there. Again, this raises the issue that we've been talking about in, I guess, a couple of interviews, and I think I have with you, is that the people with the least means get uh, suffer the most. Because it's yeah. you know, if I if I get stuck in Tassie, if if I go on this trip with you and I've got to pay an extra six hundred dollars to stay an extra few nights, I'm fine. Six hundred dollars is a lot of money to a lot of people, right? And not yeah. all of us can absorb that cost. And after the year that we've had. As soon as everybody got the opportunity, I think a lot of people wanted to get out and have some time with their family to de-stress. And so these things happening so quickly caught a lot of people out, especially during, you know, the Christmas New Year week. I mean, it's just something that deep down inside, I want to ask the question, is some of this about premieres of different states having a bit of a go at each other? I have no evidence to suggest that, but I wonder if it's like, oh, we've got three cases. Cool. Let's slam down that, that border on New South Wales to pay them back for what they did to us back then. Do you know what I mean? Is there a bit of, Mm. I don't want to accuse politicians of being childish like that, but sometimes I wonder. Well, certainly when you see Gladys and and, um, Anastasia Palaszczuk having their tits on, on, Twitter and whatever else I see that it may be some of that, but you know, why would you self immolate? You know, Dan is causing pain to the state. Uh, he actually told everyone to go and travel and uh, now yeah. he's, he's locking them out. I, to me, it smells like panic. We've got three cases. They are so, so who's panicking. No, it sounds to me like the government, the bureaucrats, the government, Dan Andrews is panicking that three cases. Holy crap. We might have an outbreak. They are so, unsure about their contact tracing system there's so so little faith in it isn't dan on leave i mean he he's on holidays back. he came back oh did he but he didn't come back straight away they no, he gave came, a, a hard ago. time to scott morrison for going to the footy with a beer i should make clear look the reason you know we're not just here complaining about all these things for the sake of complaining like the lack of police in melbourne over the next couple of weeks i'm hoping that by making a bit of noise we can apply pressure on the police we can expose it and and they will start to scramble and and start to perform better because you know what's happened in queensland something so outrageously dangerous as nine new cases yesterday again cases this is not people in hospital which i'm going to show you stats Mm. in a minute just nine new cases yesterday so they're up to a total of 23 active coronavirus cases in queensland so they lock down the city for three days and make masks mandatory as of tonight it's kind of like imagine if you come downstairs in your house or you come into the kitchen at night time and you're um you're going to prepare a midnight snack and all of a sudden you see a mouse or a cockroach 
then you freak out, you kill the cockroach or you spray it or whatever, or you get a mouse trap. But for months, you're wondering, did I get them all? Did I get them all? I get the feeling that's kind of the, the attitude that uh, Australians are having with COVID. It's like the two that you can see hide the bazillion that you can't. Look, this is uh, very concerning to me because the last thing I wanted to show you was why don't we do a walk around the numbers? Um, this is as of yesterday. This is the current. Let me move my face. All right. This is the current uh, number of active everythings at the moment. How do I zoom in? That will do. Okay. So we so currently. Yeah. Okay. Confirmed cases across Australia as of the 7th of January. Today's the 8th. And that's cumulative. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So we've had 909 deaths. This is why we've destroyed so many lives. I mean, it's a good reason to destroy lives, right? And to keep, keep in mind, we have what, 25 million people here. As you can see on the right here, most of them are from Victoria because Dan is such an amazing premier. Keeps us safe. He does. Uh, and don't doubt Dan. That's a really good video to watch. Don't be disloyal to Dan. This is what I want to draw people's attention to, the current ICU cases and the current cases admitted to hospitals. Because in all this talk about cases, we give in to the fear of, oh my goodness, there's a case I'm going to die. Well, let's talk about dying, shall we? Because at the moment there are, in ACT, we have uh, zero cases, in New South Wales, uh, we're now up to zero cases. Uh, let's skip through the little drama I'm playing out now and go straight to Victoria. In Victoria, we're now up to ICU intensive care unit cases currently sitting on zero. So look, come on, zero across the entire country. But the rationale for people that are already scared is that, yeah, but... See that big 37 there? That's staring me in the face like the rat in the kitchen. Yeah. And so they're going to look at that number and they're going to say, that number, if we don't get that to zero, the zero that we currently have will eventually go up. I mean, that's going to be the rationale for the people that are pessimistic about this situation. I mean, you and I and probably the people watching um, are a little bit more optimistic, let's say. Mm. And I don't think that there, I think that there's good reasons to be optimistic statistically, but not everybody looks at the statistics. People look at that 37 and they freak out. They literally freak out, because especially they older that, people. Because they think that they could be part of that 37 out of 26 million. It's the mystery. Which is the 37? Who is it? Is it you? Is it that guy down aisle three in Safeway or Coles? Who is it? And their mind works that way. And they're but just freaking out. Yeah, but can't you point their mind to look, well, if you live in Melbourne, Victoria, as we do, it's zero, 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 zero. Well, no, because fear, as soon as you get scared about things like this, your logical brain shuts down. I mean, we can talk about this a little bit later. I want to talk mm. about um, anger and fear later on. Mm. But basically, we're looking at this and we're trying to be as logical as we can. But people mm. that are in the grip of emotion, all they see is that number 37, or if they're looking at their state, 
uh, where's Vic? Zero. Oh, we don't have any cases. Yeah. And they're freaking out. New South Wales has one. Yeah, New South Wales has one. I mean, it's just you, you've got to give people room not to be as logical and to be a little bit more emotional, especially the aged population who I think are freak out the most because they're not used to getting on the computer and looking up all these statistics and all that sort of stuff. They're culturally, the older generations are used to getting their important news from the five o'clock, six o'clock bulletin. Which, who are peddling fear right now all the time. Yeah, exactly. Latest mutant so, strain of COVID-19. Exactly, exactly. I mean, anybody that knows anything about uh, flu bugs, they mutate all the time. Why do you they think do. you have to get a different shot each year? They say that uh, the most likely end game for coronavirus is that it stays with us, but it, it's already, they say, mutating to be less deadly, which is normal. The low-hanging fruit... If I, that's a bit insensitive, but the people who die, the virus seizes low-hanging fruit, then it mutates over years, as it has with the other SARS viruses and swine flu and so on, mm-hmm. and it becomes less and less deadly and it peters itself out. It is exceptionally... It does, I'm not sure of any case where a virus has mutated to become more and more deadly and then wiped out the human race. I'm pretty sure that doesn't... That is No, that uh, doesn't usually happen that I was, know of. I'm not an expert uh, in virology, but... Um, I do know that uh, the human who is exposed becomes more immune. The problem is that this virus was novel, meaning new. Our bodies hadn't been exposed to it before. The longer it stays around, the more immune the human population are going to... Are gonna, um, the more immune the, the human population are going to be. Well, this is exactly who I was uh, talking about. It was a virologist. I was watching a um, interview on on Rogan and another show, and they were talking about the the strains of coronaviruses mutating to become less and less deadly, and then petering out, and then they just live with us, like the HPV virus, cold sore virus. But this is interesting thing here. Look at this uh, cases versus deaths. This is across all time. So a lot of these deaths are not occurring now. Okay, calm down, everyone. This is deaths have largely stopped in our country which is really good news and i think Mm. that message is not getting out enough we should be saying well done well done well done this is good we're doing well instead we're hearing we're doing terribly no uh whether you whether you're for or against lockdowns deaths are down but anyway yeah but true like you might notice that deaths are seasonal only every year but sure as in like uh during the winter months the autumn winter Mm -hmm. months Mm-hmm. more deaths during those times than summer um, because temperature and air um, humidity and other factors do uh, contribute to how someone responds to an infection. Yeah, it's always the case. And in, and it's always the elderly population that, well, this is an interesting from uh, William Briggs, Professor William Briggs, professor of medical statistics at Cornell saying that this is very much better than the flu because a, a flu will kill the young and the old, whereas this is only killing yep. the old. So here we have old people dying, right? The tragedy of old people dying here on the right, but the number of cases is peaking in the lower age groups. And that would be for yeah. a few and this reasons. has been, this has been um, the statistic that, uh, that trends all through the Corona uh, 
pandemic, which is that the people in their 20s are the ones that are getting infected the most and the people that are dying the most are the people over 80. So this has, been, this has been true pretty much most of last year and probably will be true if you extend it out over the UK statistics and other things like that. So I heard a ratio of one in four over 80 who contract corona will die from it. From it or with it? With it, from it, hard to determine. <laughs> That's a whole nother but podcast. If- yeah, exactly. If you have, if you're over 80 and you get infected, your chances of dying are about 25%. Statistically, that doesn't mean if, if someone gets it, they're going, oh my goodness, you know, I'm going to die. Look, you need to watch yourself and be careful. That says to me, if you're over 80, then we need, we need to be more careful Looking with after. our age population. Yes, than we have been. And maybe yep. stop destroying the lives of everyone under 60 or whatever, you know, pre-retirement. So imagine in Victoria during 2020, if it didn't get into the aged care system. That was incredible. Yeah. Would have had much lower rate of deaths. Mm. So my, so when we're looking at the statistics, we need to put them into a context as we all always need to do with numbers and statistics and recognize that um, that number of 900 predominantly was people with uh, comorbidities and over the age of 75, 80. Yeah. The other thing is to mention is that influenza no longer exists pretty much worldwide, which, which look, either that's the biggest scam in history or the excuse... The excuses that they're giving me, I don't buy the excuses, but the excuses they're giving, which is influenza is not transmitting because we're all locked down, we're all social distancing. But then why aren't, why isn't, what you're just saying COVID is transmitting. Which one is it? Yeah, COVID's the only game in town. You go, it's like going to the casino and saying, I want to play the tables or I want to do the pokies. And they're like, no, it's only this one game. But I know I'm. I'm the guy that will tell you stuff from history. But if you look at deaths ascribed to smoking, same situation. If you die of cancer and somewhere in your past you uh, were a smoker on record, it goes down as a smoking death. They, they really? don't investigate. They can't investigate. You can't, you can't tell whether a cancer was caused by smoking. Now, I'm not defending smoking, so don't misunderstand me. All I'm saying is that this is a, um, a common thing to roll up yep. lots of deaths and put a cause to it that mm. you can't prove. You know, I went to um, three buff, four, five, five buffets in this Christmas period. Uh, really? You still go to buffets? They still exist? This is what I was going to say. They're not the same. I went to the really fancy ones at Crown Casino, Melbourne, Langham restaurant as well. And uh, I went to Screen Barbecue Buffet. I went to heaps of buffets, Asian ones. They they often bring it to your table. It's just not the same. Oh, okay. I, I not this, a buffet then, isn't it? <laughs> this was actually relevant to the point you made before the smoking thing, but I've forgotten why it was relevant and I already had it in my brain. But anyway, there you go. Buffets oh, are not the same. It's a really smart. Just go for it. <laughs> 
buffets are not the same. But Josh, look, the the world is going a little bit mad, it seems. Um, everyone's reactive. I mean, I put out a little status update yesterday saying, uh, quoting Damien Curry, who we've had on the show, is pretty level-headed, saying, look, Trump needs to concede. This, this is getting a bit comical. And sure enough, Trump did concede. And uh, I want to ask you about this um, in terms of seeing 2021 as a, as a sprint slash marathon, like you mentioned off air. Mm. But specifically, can you maybe help me to understand why even some people, the people following discernible are, are better, more, more intellectually curious and uh, engaged than, than other platforms. And yet even the people following discernible were slamming me. Some of them were saying, fake news he hasn't he'll save us all he'll still win he hasn't conceded yes he has conceded and then he came out and conceded again via video why are people losing their minds why are they holding on to these little wins so tightly what's going on okay um remember if you've seen the first intro video to the worldview series that i was doing i was talking about rescuing devices Mm. i was mentioning that when your worldview is attacked or it's rocked it's very unpleasant and you'll reach for something like a logical fallacy or you lash out in some way or you'll just leave the conversation to rescue that which you've put confidence in now if this happens in big things like worldviews it happens in little things as well people put their hope in things and when they put their too many eggs in one basket and that starts to erode, the security starts to erode, they'll have the same, it's very unpleasant and they'll have the same sorts of reactions. So don't take it personally, um, but recognize that this is, a, this is what happens when people feel like something that they've put their hope in looks like it's not gonna be uh, true. So are you saying that it's easier for these people to cling and make new crazy wild claims that Trump is somehow going to, I mean, this is ridiculous now at this point, but he himself said he's going away, but now they're saying, no, he's really playing a long game. He's going to put everyone in prison by the 20th of January. It's easier for them to entertain these crazy theories than it is to look at the reality of your candidate lost. Well, let's put it this way. I haven't heard for a while. It's, it happens every year on my birthday, which is in August. But uh, for a very long time, Elvis was still alive. People Are you don't serious? deal with. Yeah, I thought that was a joke from Men in Black, and you know. Movies. Are you serious? You never. I was. It was every year on my birthday growing up. There would be a special on TV, uh, because Elvis died like a couple of days before my birthday. There'd be a special on the latest investigation about whether Elvis where he could be and whether he really faked his own death and stuff like this. I mean, look, there are people that will hang on to something for dear life, even if internally they know it's not true, they'll Mm. delude themselves because security and feeling safe is that important to the Mm -hmm. survival of human beings. Now, if you back the wrong horse, so to speak, and you lose, there's a period of time that's a mini grieving period Mm. where you have to go through the process of grief and part of the process of grief is is denial. Mm. And uh, 
another a process of grief is, is a period of anger and depression, but eventually they work through to acceptance. Um, they go through this period because it's a mini loss. Some, for some people, it's very significant. Um, some people can tend to panic. I mean, in world history, transitions of power have on average been very violent and horrible. Mm, I mean, you know, we need to be feel very privileged that transitions of power are, um, are relatively peaceful in Western countries, although the riots uh, would suggest that people's uh, desire for peaceful transition is a little bit <laughs> uh, skewed. But, hey, personally, the stuff that was happening in America, the riots... When people don't feel like they're heard, when people don't feel like they have been given a say and that the courts haven't, were throwing out lots of things, the, the Supreme Court threw out Trump's challenge. Um, Facebook has been shutting people down from posting and sharing ideas and stuff like that. This has been going oh, on Trump's for a long banned. time. You know Trump's banned? Yeah, Trump yeah. Trump banned, got banned for, what, 23 hours from it, it, it's, cha it's changed now. So he's banned from Snapchat, Facebook, and Instagram until the swearing-in of Biden. So when those things happen, when people feel unheard, they'll tolerate it for a while. But it's like a world. It's like a a filling up of a, of a well before it overflows. And what happened um, yesterday? I think you should put at the feet of people like um, Obama in the sense that he was the one that, that started this in 2015 with a, a, a White House uh, meeting with all the CEOs of these companies talking about disinformation and the uh, Facebook and all the different media outlets that have been constantly treating Trump supporters like they mean nothing, that they're just crazy whack jobs and they they should all just shut up and handle it. I mean, treating people that way, you are going to get people upset and you're going to see things like that happen. And it's not it's not ideal. This is interesting that you're one of the very few voices out there in the media who would actually say, you know, I, I like this, I, what you're doing, but you would say you're putting it at the feet of Obama and big tech and so on, rather than necessarily at the foot of Trump. Though I get the feeling you're not absolving Trump of, of any bad behavior yesterday. Look, to be honest with you, I don't see incitement. I see Trump trying to, tell people, hey, we're still going, you know, but sort of like there was a time limit where the people took it upon themselves to do something. And people need to be held responsible for their own decisions and their own actions. Now, if someone can show me a tweet where Trump said, I want you to do this, this is what you should do, um, then he's responsible for his actions. But each person needs to be responsible for their own personal actions. And just because someone incites a riot, it doesn't absolve the rioters from their personal choices. 
I mean, there was a woman who was shot dead by the police uh, during that riot. And I got to ask the question, how many people there were actually, the rioters were actually brought guns to the, to the, to the place? I don't think anyone did. Now, they destroyed some property, which is really not good. They destroyed media. They, they took their, their frustrations out on the media that were there. And they broke in. You know, can I, just while we're on that topic, the mainstream media, just like they did for the protests here in Melbourne back in November, they only show a certain narrative. And I've come across some video. Sorry, I didn't cue this up for you. But uh, I've come across some video that shows outside the front doors of the Capitol before they had broken the windows and started to go through the open doors. It shows a num a huge amount of Trump supporters there screaming no Antifa, no Antifa, because they thought the guy at the front who was the only one guy was trying to mm-hmm. smash the window. Yep. Yeah, you seen this footage? When we do the when we do the Marxist when I do the Marxist Leninist worldview, I'm gonna talk about this. That um, just because a protest is said to be for one thing, it doesn't stop certain people coming in and trying to hijack that protest. Yeah, well, let me show this video. A, yeah, go for it. Yeah, let me show this video. So, uh, Antifa. So she's saying, I'll just tee it up. So she, a number of people are saying no Antifa, and then he starts to try and smash that window. This one guy, and he's struggling to smash the window. And then one of the Trump supporters, big guy, red MAGA hat, grabs him, pulls him down to stop rioting to and stop smashing him. the window, and the crowd cheers. Now, watch this. See, this is what I'm talking about, Josh. You know, they're, even that is not a full picture of what happened on the day. What I'm saying is you've got to look at everything and combine it all together. It's a rich tapestry of the type of people who were there and they weren't all out for blood. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you talked about government and you used people's names? We do it all the time. We mm. take a, a large group of individual human beings and we lump them all together into one word. And that's what the media take advantage of. It's a logical fallacy, but the media take advantage of that and they say, look at these rioters and they use buzzwords to try and provoke an idea in their consumer, the people who consume that media's head about what to think about what's happening. And I think what has gone is media actually being there to investigate so that the truth can be told about a circumstance or a situation. Rather, what's happening is media are there so that it appears that they're being unbiased, but they're actually spinning the story to suit a certain narrative that they want to progress. Yeah, look, I overall, I think... 80s, sorry? I want 80s, I want 80s uh, investigative journalists to come back. Most of them were... Uh, left wing, so to speak, but they were more classic liberal. They'd tell the truth even if they didn't like it, whereas now it's it's not really that way. I had a meeting with a some some very, 
I have all these meetings where I can't say who they were because they're trying to secretly work behind the scenes, but high up people and ad agencies and so on who are trying to shift the public mood. You know, the faceless men they always talk about behind politicians and behind the public mood for the first time in my life. they actually have a face? They have a face and they are, they are seemingly quite nice, but they scare the pants off you. The way I went to a meeting with the faceless men and well, I mean, there's faceless men on both sides of politics. So this is obviously on the liberal side. Mm. The, the way they strategize to turn public opinion and leak to the media and, uh, and they, they do misdirection. So they get the other party running against to defend one thing when they're building up a case on the side to stab them in mm -hmm. six months to a year from now. These guys play a long game. Anyway, as people, very nice people, happy to have a meal with them if they invite me. But in terms of I never want to be on their bad side because they are sneaky. Mm. Yeah, that's scary. There's a movie that I recommend to everybody if you can get your hands on it. It's called Conspiracy. It's got Kenneth Brenner in it. It was the Villa Vonze conference in Germany. It's kind of a boring video. Uh, movie but it was based on the notes of the meeting that happened in Nazi Germany to bring about or to devise the plan for the final solution and it's just bureaucrats basically talking about numbers of people and numbers of workers that they need and such like that but you know in hindsight is 2020 um, mm. that they're talking about human beings lives mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when you get into big governments and uh, you, you're looking at very big picture situations, it's very hard to keep perspective and you end up um, not being able to emotionally sustain thinking about each individual as a human being because it gets in the way of making the plan. And so I can understand how the deep state can do these sorts of things. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it's, it's scary. It's a scary conversation to listen to. Well, Josh, we uh, certainly are trying to, trying to uncover with shows like this, we're trying to uncover some of that, that hidden darkness. And um, I'm hoping that culturally we are having a positive effect in, and we're not, we're not, we're no, sorry, I don't mean to offend you when I always say we're nobodies, but we're not journalists. We're not preeminent experts in our fields, but we just seem to be rare people willing to have an intellectually challenging discussion and to look at our own views and to question ourselves and to look at all sides of the argument and to tell the truth. Yeah. I think telling the truth will lead you to be more intellectually stable mm. because there's a discipline to telling the truth. And that discipline ends up bleeding in to the information that you receive and believe. You don't just listen to anything and go with that. When you work hard at telling people the truth, you end up demanding the same sort of scrutiny from the people that are telling you stuff. And I think practicing to tell the truth is a very good first step in, rec in um, training yourself uh, to be a good listener. Which is kind of, it seems to me that's your whole goal with the coffee with Josh and seems to yeah. be who you are as a person. Yeah. And let's, let's talk to what I wanted to get to before mm. we run out of time.
So I want to give you an analogy um, of the sprinter versus the marathon runner. Mm. Um, I'm seeing a lot of anger and a lot of fear. And the thing about anger and fear is that they're not, they're not going to allow you to be able to think properly because of the chemistry involved. Mm. And so helping, stopping us from getting angry is really important uh, because in, a, in the event of a 100-meter sprint, right, right at the gun, all the energy goes into the start. You've got 10 seconds and then the race is over. That's what anger does. Sometimes anger is really useful and important for human beings, but it's rare. Anger is good for a moment at the right time, in the right way, to the right degree. But anger is something that is not good long-term. You're going to do damage to yourself. You're not going to be emotionally healthy. So what I really recommend people to do is when they feel anger at something that they're reading or something that they're seeing is to take some time away and to break through to what is fueling that anger, which is usually hurt or a feeling of violation. And if you need to have a cry and feel sad about what you've lost or what has been hurt or how you've been violated, take some time to feel sad because that sadness is going to dissipate a lot of that energy. That's true. But if you stay angry, your anger is very chaotic and it can cause you to do things like burst out at a family member that has nothing to do with the issue. So being emotionally healthy, uh, emotionally healthy and emotionally stable is really important because this situation is not a sprint. This COVID situation, what's going on in the world, it's not going to be a sprint. So if you die on the hill of not wearing a mask, you might find that, sure, you can say, I stood up for not wearing a mask, but there's a very long game going on here that could take a couple of years. So that's why I want to talk about the long game, the marathon. Marathon runners who spend all their energy at the start won't finish the race. They'll still be in the race. They'll be going... <laughs> but they're not going to finish the race. Marathon runner needs to have sustainability, fortitude, strategy, tactics in order to run the whole race because they've got the end goal in mind. Sprinters run alone. They always, they run alone. Marathon runners often run together because they help each other. They get into a line and the guy in front sort of breaks the wind resistance for the rest and they can go further together. And part of the strategy is to know when to break away from the group. The same in cycling, long distance cycling. So this is so exactly, wanna, yep. So what I want to encourage people to do is think about how to manage your lives your emotional lives long-term so you don't burn yourselves out with anger reading or watching news articles that really push your buttons. I think there's going to be a lot of that coming up, Josh. That's a good summation of 2021. Here we are, January the 8th. Uh, 
2021 is going to be a marathon of a whole lot of weirdness. I don't buy the 2020s over. It's all good now. I think 2021 is going to be at least the same level of craziness. Hopefully not worse. Hopefully it'll maybe. be a little bit of a change up to keep it exciting. But yeah, ah. my suspicion is this crisis will bleed into a new crisis somewhere down the line to keep the pressure on. So I don't know what that's going to be, but eventually COVID is going to run out of legs and they'll have to look for something else. And in the meantime, we need to try and preserve ourselves, our minds, our communities, our relationships. So good advice there, Josh. People's Project will be back in February, somewhere around the mid. I think after our, uh, we're doing another Melbourne event for Discernibles. So we'll do um, a, a better than Q&A event. So People's Project will be back in a number of weeks. And we look forward to seeing, uh, well, we need to make it, don't we? We need to make this next series you're about to do, Josh. Look forward to seeing that in the coming uh, couple of weeks. Thank you for joining us, everyone, on episode... Zero. X. Zero. Of season three. Of season three. All right, see you soon, Josh. Hey, don't die from any mos mosquitoes, buddy. Just Don't worry. You're not going to get rid of me. I'll be around for friggin' ages. You need to get genetically strong people like me, impervious to mosquitoes. Strong mind. Strong mind, boys. See ya. Girls.